Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. No matter who you are or where you've come from, you can show the world nothing is impossible. Amen? Oh, let's try it again. Amen? Yes. Folks, you had an extra hour of sleep this morning. I'm expecting big things out of you today. Breakfast is coming. Worship was off the chain. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time as well? It is so good to be with all of you that are here in the room and the many that are worshiping with us online, even from around the world, Mexico represented this morning. So hello to our friends down south as well. We're glad to have you here. It is a great day to worship God. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't had a chance to connect yet, would love to do that as well. Nothing is impossible. I don't know about you, but watching that, my heart starts to beat a little bit whenever I see trailers like this. This documentary that has come out, it's called 14 Peaks. And it tells the story of a Nepali mountaineer. And I want to I look at my notes so I make sure I get his name right. It's Nimsdai Persia. And Mr. Persia set out to do the impossible. He set out to do what nobody's done before, and that is to summit all 14 of the world's peaks that are over 8,000 meters, or get this, 26,000 feet. All over the world, most of them are not in the U.S., and the, he set out to do that in seven months. The previous record was to summit all 14 of those peaks around the world in eight years, He's trying to do it in seven months. So you can imagine for this guy and his team, this is setting out to do the impossible. You can imagine the preparation. You can imagine the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the fears and the doubts and the obstacles and the perseverance and the courage that it would take to do something like that. And at the end of this trailer, Persia, this mountaineer, the lead guy, the lead climber, says this, no matter who you are, or where you've come from, you can show the world that nothing is impossible. And the crazy thing is, yeah, you can praise God for that. You can shake. Absolutely. The crazy thing is, his goal was to do this. The previous record, remember, eight years, this guy did it in six months. He did it. He scaled two of these 26,000 peaks in a span of 48 hours. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I wonder, do you believe that today? Do you believe that nothing is impossible today? I think it's easy to be inspired and motivated by great feats like this, but the truth is today, every single one of us is staring at some sort of obstacle, some sort of barrier, some sort of summit in our lives that we're staring up at, as I'm sure that Mr. Persia did 14 times and summit after summit after summit of making that climb, I'm sure there's things in your life today that you stand at the base of and look up and say, there's no way. Or maybe you can look back at your life and you know there are those defining moments in your life where you're on the other side of it now, but you remember, don't you? 
You remember those moments where you said, how, how in the world am I going to get over this mountain? How, 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 God, exactly are you going to move mountains? What's your summit today? Maybe it's summits, but what are the obstacles standing in your way? The truth of the matter is that probably none of us in this room, if you have, come find me after the service because I would really like to talk to you, and then I can interview you for the 11 o'clock. But I'm guessing uh, a lot of you have not scaled, like me, a 26,000-foot mountain, but we all know the feeling of standing at the foot of impossible odds, whatever it might be in your life. And let's just get honest. For some of you right now, you are just exhausted by the last two years. Some of you are overwhelmed and exhausted. You have young kids, and your kids, like mine, got up at 5 a.m. this morning. <laughs> Praise God for them. Um, some of you are just overwhelmed by the demands of life. Some of you don't know how you're going to make it through the next month's stack of bills. Some of you still haven't found the job that you're desperate for, and you're wondering how you're going to provide for your family. For some of you, your marriage is on the rocks, and you're not quite sure how you're going to make it, and you can't quite bring yourself to admit to your other Christian friends that your Christian marriage is just about done. And you're staring up at that mountain, and you just don't know how you're going to meet it. You're, you're dealing uh, with, with an ex that just doesn't, just doesn't want to show the kindness that you long for in your heart. Some of you are caring for your aging parents. You're having struggles with grown children, whatever it might be. Or sometimes... Our summits, our obstacles are more hidden. You just can't bring yourself to forgive the person that hurt you long ago. Or, harder yet, some of you can't forgive yourself for something that you did a long, long time ago. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to just receive it and let that sit and take that with you through your week. Some of the tallest summits that we're going to face in life, some of the biggest obstacles that you're ever going to face in your life are going to be the ones that nobody can see. Because they're on the inside. What's your summit today? What seems impossible? No matter what you're up against, I want you to know this morning that you're not alone. God's people, Israel, faced a very similar set of circumstances long ago. And we're going to dive into God's word today and see what he has to say about the impossible odds sometimes that stack up against us in our lives. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is another book. 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. If you're new to the Bible, that's going to be in the Old Testament. It's going to be kind of in the first third of your Bible. And if you can't remember the last time you opened a Bible, we are so glad that you are here today. We are one of those crazy churches that loves to dive into God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 7. To kind of set the stage for you, this is during the time of the judges. The judges were uh, set apart as to be leaders of God's people. And Israel finds themselves at war with the Philistines. And if you are wondering what kind of uh, odds are they up against, you remember that in the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine, right? This was a very, very formidable foe, and Israel finds themselves surrounded by this foe uh, uh, gathered at the place of Mizpah. And so we read starting in verse 7, and when the people of Israel heard of it, that they were going up against the Philistines, they were afraid of the Philistines. Other translations uh, translation say terrified. They were terrified. You ever been there? At the base of the summit. Verse 8, the people of Israel then said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord God for us and pray that he might save us from the hand of 
the Philistines. They are surrounded and they are outnumbered on other sides, on all sides, by a foe that is a lot bigger and stronger than they are. It seems like an impossible situation. What do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you're in a situation in your life and you just can't see around that mountain? (laughs) You, you, You can't go around it. You can't go through it. You can't go under it. I guess I'll have to go over it. But what do you do when you can't see the other side? What do you do when you can't see the victory? I don't know if you're like me this morning, people that I see around me. It seems like there's a few common responses. Go ahead and go to the next slide. The first one is simply this. I just give up (laughs) because it's easier to quit. It's easier to give up. But then here's the thing. We never grow and we never find the victories that God has for us if we give up when it gets hard. For some of us, when we're facing impossible odds or obstacles or barriers in our life, we love to give up. Some of us, if you're like me, you're control freaks. And you try to take control of the situation. Well, I'm just going to do it my way. Yeah, but the problem is, what if the situation lends itself to your way is just not enough? What happens when you are not enough for the situation? What happens when no matter how hard you try to take control, you can't change the situation? Well, the Israelites shows us a third way, and it may not be what you think today. It's to surrender. Everybody say surrender. It's not the way that you would think. Go back to verse 8. They turned to Samuel. Samuel represented the people before God, and they would turn to the judges. They would turn to the prophets and the kings to pray for them to be the mediator between God and the people. They turned to Samuel, and they turned to tap into the power of God. They cried out. They said, Samuel, this summit is too steep. This obstacle is too great. We need divine intervention. And so what does Samuel do? He offers a a spotless lamb as a sacrifice, an act of surrender. Everybody say surrender. It doesn't seem like something you would do to win a battle that you are in, but he offers this sacrifice, and we pick it up in verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, as he was doing it, in the midst of doing it, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty, mighty voice that day against the Philistines. I don't know what that sounded like, but maybe it's the old scare them with the thunderstorm trick that God is pulling out here. And it says, it threw them into confusion. And they were routed before Israel. God's people, Israel, were ready to quit because they couldn't see the other side of the mountain. Some of you this morning, I don't know what you're up against, but some of you came to worship today and you are ready to quit. Whatever it might be. Getting your hopes up again for love. Wondering if you're going to get abused again. Wondering if you're going to get burned wondering if there's love out there for you, wondering if that job is out there for you, wondering if you're ever going to find peace with that person that you're at odds with, wondering if your marriage can be saved, wondering if you're going to make it to the next month. Some of you are ready to quit, and I'm here to tell you this morning, you can't quit. You can't quit. Just because you can't see the other side doesn't mean that God's not always already there smoothing the path ahead of you. You can't quit because the God of the universe will never quit on you. Amen? No matter what you're up against. He's never going to give up on you. You can't quit. You can't give up when it gets hard because you're not alone. We have a God that does the impossible. But notice how the victory came. The victory was in the surrender. Let me say it again. The victory 
was in the surrender, not in giving up, not in quitting, not in, not in trying to control the situation. Instead, Israel teaches us that day, and this you can take this to the bank, and you can take it home with you this week. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Yes, the victory was in the surrender, but you don't always have the power to control. You and I don't have the power to change or to move a mountain all the time, but you always have the power to surrender. You do not always have the power to control. There are things in this life that we will never understand why they happen this side of heaven. We don't have the power to control every situation, but you always have the power to surrender. And that's where the power is at. And if that doesn't seem to make sense, if that, if that seems like, well, that sounds great to put that nice little quote on a screen, John, but, but doesn't that seem weak? If I'm going to wave the white flag in my life, doesn't that seem like I'm giving up? Doesn't it seem like it's a little passive? <laughs> well, if that doesn't seem to make sense, let me remind you that a couple thousand years later, Another prophet, not Samuel, but John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming. And he knew that it was the Messiah. And he knew his Old Testament prophecies that a Messiah would come and that he would be the one and final spotless lamb. Do you remember the story when they were at Mizpah? Samuel puts on the altar a spotless lamb for the victory. The victory was in the surrender. And John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the final sacrifice who surrendered to God's will, who surrendered to God's power on the cross 2,000 years ago. And because of it, we can walk in that victory today. Jesus won a greater victory than even over the Philistines, a, 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 a foe that is far bigger and stronger and more damaging than a Philistine army, and it's our own sin and death, and Jesus kicked it to the curb on your behalf 2,000 years ago so that you would have to bear that no longer. The victory was in the surrender. A cross meant to kill is our victory. Behold the Lamb of God, the once and final sacrifice for all, and we can step into that victory when we put our faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? That is our call. The victory was in the surrender. And how do we do that? We step into that every single day. It's not, surrender isn't some passive thing. We step into it every single day. It's the daily intentional act of saying, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. Fill me with your peace. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in every single one of you this morning. Never forget that. Whatever mountain, whatever impossible odds might be in your way. Marriage, parenting, the job search, a big decision that you have to make. And then when you are filled up with that kind of power, that victorious Holy Spirit power, then you can move with confidence into every single day. Don't forget, the Israelites still had to fight the battle. They still had to fight the battle. On this side of heaven, there's going to be some battles. We know that the war is won. Amen? The war has been won. D-Day has happened for those who believe in Jesus Christ. D-Day has happened. The war has been won. It's over, but the battle rages on. The Israelites still had to step into the battle. Will those victories always come in the way that we want them to? No. Will those victories always happen in our timing and in our way? No. But God has always used impossible situations to demonstrate his power. Amen? How does he want to show up? in your life. So back to the story. 
So to commemorate this victory, we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. So we go back and we read this. Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. And he named it Ebenezer. No, not the Scrooge type. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer literally means stone of help. And from that day forward, any time that people walk past that place where that battle took place, where Israel was up against impossible odds and God showed up and God came through, every single time that somebody would pass that way, they would know, ah, this is where God showed up. It's the same reason, for those of you that are sports fans, it's the same reason that teams put up championship banners in their rafters, right? We could do that all the way around here, multiple times of all the ways that God has showed up, amen? They put up, they put up world championship banners, or they'll make a, a statue of a famous player so that we don't forget. Remember that moment? That was significant. Remember that? Anyone... Here this morning, have an Ebenezer moment in your life. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need a rock to commemorate it. You just point to the cross. Time and time and time again. Does anybody here this morning have a moment in your life that you could say, if it wasn't for the Lord, if God didn't show up, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have made it. There's no way I'm standing here today without you. We don't need to set up giant rocks anymore because the cross of Jesus Christ stands and the grave is empty to say, if the Lord wouldn't have showed up, where would we be? Where would we be? Every day, every moment is an opportunity to remember that we've only come this far by God's power. It reminds me of Jesus' words in our scripture reading today. Some of you were hearing that scripture reading. You're like, whoa, we're going to talk about money? Nope, in two weeks we're going to. So you're going to want to bring a friend for that. Hey, come to my church. What are we talking about? Your checkbook. <laughs> it's invite a friend Sunday in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about money. So we're going we're gonna to save that part of the story for later. But there is a young man in Luke 18, a, 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 a religious leader that is very, very wealthy. And money has its hooks in him. And he can't let it go. And is Jesus saying that rich people can't enter the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. God loves rich people. He wants you to steward your your wealth well. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But instead, people ask, so who can follow Jesus? And Jesus responds and he says this. Let's read it nice and loud together. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We've been in this series called Say What? And we've been exploring some of these shocking statements of Jesus. And why is that such a shocking statement? (laughs) No, Jesus is saying rich people can't enter the kingdom. It's shocking because contrary to Persia, our climber friend, contrary to the rich man, contrary to our own assumptions, our greatest victories in life have nothing to do with us. Our greatest victories in life have nothing to do with us, and that should be a very humbling thought for you this morning and for me. Every single day that we wake up is an Ebenezer moment, a moment to say, it is only by God's grace that I have come this far. It's what we sang this morning. Are those words on a screen for you? Or when we sing, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, those words were written hundreds of years ago, but they ring true for us this morning just as much as they ever have. Amen? That's why we worship. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about this style or that style. If we can stand here together 
And as followers of Jesus say, this is my story. This is my song. It's an Ebenezer moment. God, I'm desperate for you. And so I started thinking about next weekend. We're kind of in anniversary mode around here, if you can't tell. We're a little fired up, stopping and reflecting these last few weeks at all that God has done over this last year. (laughs) This week, this weekend coming up is an Ebenezer moment for us as a church. And God is calling us to stop and slow down and breathe it in. Life goes so fast. And for people like me that love to just charge ahead and take the next mountain, it's okay to stop. There'll be other summits, but it's okay to stop and just say, wow. And let your heart be broken with gratitude. To say, wow, I've said it once and I'll say it again. The scariest moment for an atheist is having a heart overflowing with gratitude and having no one to thank. There's something way bigger out there going on. There's something way bigger than even two churches coming together. There is a God who has a plan and a purpose for your life as individuals and also for us as a church. God has provided, amen? God has provided time and time again. And so just as the purpose of an Ebenezer moment is for God to remind us, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. (laughs) We're looking back on this last year, and there's a couple of those moments that I don't think that God wants us to forget either. And it's easy to move on to the next thing and forget how far God has brought us. There's been many. There's a, be a whole sermon series on that, but I picked two to highlight for us this morning. And the first one is this. It happened long before any of us were worshiping in this building. It happened a couple of years ago. There was a group of people from then Hope Des Moines and then Elam Christian Fellowship, and we got together and we went to Elam. And I know uh, to, to the church basement there, and we have a little gathering and a get-together. And as it happens, when you're bringing two groups of people that aren't very similar together, there was some apprehension. There was some fear. There was some, I don't know about this. There was some hesitancy and some skepticism. And then we had chicken and spaghetti together, and it was over. I mean, in a good way. And it was like, wow, we really love Jesus, and we really love food. This is going to work. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. It's why breakfast is cooking down there right now as well. What is impossible with man is possible with God. But the question remained, how are we going to work together? People ask me, John, you are insane. You and Pastor Hurst and the rest of the team, you are insane. Political and racial unrest is at an all-time high. Not to mention you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're going to renovate a 77,000 thousand square foot building and merge two very uh, unlike churches together in the middle of a pandemic? Yes, because we worship a God that does the impossible. Amen? That's who we are. That's the God that we follow. I don't think I was the only one that at times stood at the base of that summit and said, there's no way. There's no way. And there was lots of feelings and there was lots of emotions and there still are. And I, I kid you not, can we be real? We're family, right? Can we be honest? It's been hard. It's been messy. People have gotten offended. People have gotten their feelings hurt. People have gotten burned. And we didn't give up. You don't quit when things get hard. The world would say, oh, this is never going to work, and, 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 and you're too, you're too uh, unlike each other. You might as well just throw in the towel. The world says this, thinking of there's the horse, And there's the cart. The world says the horse is your feelings. 
Just lead with your feelings. And it doesn't matter if it's in marriage or a friendship or a relationship. Lead with your feelings. And if everything's going well, then I'll commit to this person. I'll commit to this group of people. The world says if, if you've got bad feelings, the, the minute that you feel hurt, the minute that you feel offended, that somebody rubs you the wrong way, then you give up. If I don't feel in love with this person, if I don't feel that sense of unity with this group of people, then I'm out. Jesus says, on the contrary, the Bible tells a much different story. You commit to those people. You commit to that person, and the feelings come. Love is a choice every single day because we're family. And when things get hard, you don't quit on your family. You keep going. It's not if they do everything that you like. Yeah, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament if people just quit. Because when you're in Philippi or when you're in Corinth or you're in Ephesus, there's no third, fourth, or fifth Baptist church down the road. There's no second or third Lutheran. There's one church, and that's why Paul says, you got to learn to love each other because you're family. And that's why Paul writes things like this in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read it together. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Here's what we learned. Here's one of the many things we've learned this year. The amount of conflict that you're willing to work through will ultimately determine the depth of your relationships, which is so opposite of what the message we get from the world every single day. Conflict, I'm out. And we miss it. We miss on the gold. Yes, fire can burn you, but if you don't leave, fire can refine you like gold. It can refine you as well, but you've got to stay in the fire and it's going to hurt and you're going to get burned sometimes, but you choose because love is a commitment. Amen? We're family. Instead of letting our differences divide us, I've said it once and I'll say it again. We united around something bigger than any differences we could have and his name is Jesus Christ. And we found that the Jesus that unites us is stronger than the differences that can divide us. Amen? That's who we are as a church. The impossible was made possible. How? Through surrender. Through surrender. It's not my way, it's his way. God, not my will, but your will be done. And that's even true when it comes to worship. So that's the next obstacle. That was one Ebenezer moment for us. Okay, we got that. We're unified. But now we're actually doing church, okay? Because everybody loves to talk about racial unity, and nobody likes to do it because it's hard. Amen? And it's messy. And we get in this worship center together and we start doing some songs and some of you are like, what happened to my church? This is nothing. This is nothing like it was before. This is so weird. I've never worshipped this way before. These preachers, they're so different. This person prays. They don't pray like me. (gasps) It doesn't feel spirit-led. It doesn't feel spirit-filled. What are we going to do? This this an impossible obstacle to overcome, and we would have lost our way if the goal was to do what we've always done, and we would have lost our way if we would have assumed that one style is better than another style. We would have lost our way. Instead, we turned to God's word, and we read this. Go ahead and go to the next slide in First Samuel. Once again, David is speaking. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. People look at the style of church that you have. People look at the instruments that you use. People look at the color of your skin. People look at the instruments and the vocalists and the style of music. But the Lord looks at the what? The heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And later on, David says this in Psalm 51. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite what? Heart. 
that you, God, will not despise. It turns out being spirit-filled is not a worship style. It's a posture of surrender. And that has no color. Amen? Amen. Being spirit-filled is not a worship style. It's a posture of surrender. And even bigger than that, we learn to redefine what success is for worship. Some of you, your entire life, have walked in the back doors of a worship center, and you have defined success by how much you got filled up. What's in it for me is your primary question, myself included, because we're human, and we need to get filled up. But Jesus says, in in my kingdom, I'm going to flip that upside down. And I'm going to redefine success and worship for you and move that from consuming to serving. I've talked to dozens of you who are like, this is not my thing. This is not my jam. This is not my style. I've never worshipped that way before. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. It's out of my comfort zone. And yet I've never been so filled up. How can that be? Because worship is not about you. And Jesus says, when you die to yourself and you seek first the kingdom of God, something happens inside of you when you make God the object of your worship and you start to ask one of the most important questions that any church member could ask. God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to do through me to accomplish your mission for this church? It flips it on its head and now all of a sudden I'm getting filled up. Fulfillment comes... When you make God the object of your worship, not yourself. Again, the victory is in the surrender. The victory all along was in the surrender. And I will be honest with you, to make it personal for a second, there have been so many moments along the way where I'm standing at the base of this mountain, even we're halfway up the mountain, and I'm exhausted because I'm a dad and I'm out of shape. (sighs) No, in all honesty, I had my doubts. And I have my fears, and I still do, because I'm John. And Pastor Hurst is just Michael. And we're human beings, and we haven't always gotten it right. But somebody came up to me a couple months before we moved in and started the church, and they said, John, what's your biggest fear about all this? About moving into this big, brand-new, huge, massive church building with so, so much potential. And I said, my greatest fear, I think, is that we'll forget who we are, that we'll forget where we've come from, that will forget that the church is people and not some big fancy building, that will settle in and say, wow, we've arrived. Now we're a real church because we got a big old building on the corner. But you know what? I never really doubted that because I know what the heartbeat of our congregations were and I know what the heartbeat of this congregation is, that we are laser focused on the mission of Jesus Christ and not a worship style or a prayer style or a preaching style. Amen? Every single week when you leave this building, we say, go and be the church, and you've done it. (laughs) You've absolutely done it. And I just want to tell you, I want to just celebrate with you. We're going to have an Ebenezer moment right here. I I, I could stack a a stack of rocks up a pile higher. I could just point to the cross and say none of this happens without him. But I just want to share some highlights. If if you're new, as a lot of you are, and you haven't been with us even since last November, look what God has done. Worship continues to grow in person and online with three weekly services and guests, get this, from 16 states, and now, this is uh, outdated, six countries, including Mexico. So praise God for that. That's pretty cool. 
Vacation Bible School, over 150 kids. Community Night on Wednesday, get this, has served close to 10,000 meals to our community in the neighborhood. Praise God for that. Hope we tithe, just as we ask you to tithe, and as a church, we tithe as well. Hope Elam has given over $60,000 to local and global mission partners, and over 150 participants have engaged in our Be the Bridge and Oneness Embrace racial unity classes. The biggest, most well-attended classes that we've done have been the ones where we get a little messy. Praise God for that, right? <laughs> Praise God for what he's doing. Last November, we had about 10 to 15 kids on a weekend. That number has grown to 60, not only on Sunday, but with the addition of Hope Kids Wednesdays and Joshua Christian Academy and Hope Elam Preschool that are here during the week. Both have grown to over 40 students each week this year. So praise God for that, right? There are four mission partners that fill these halls with ministry throughout the week. Joshua Christian Academy, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Dorothy's House, Genesis Youth. Hope Elam has collected thousands of donations through Super Bowl Food Drive, Mass Drive, Back to School Drive, and we're going to add to that. I would love to see every single one of those bins gone. Let's run the container store and Walmart and Target out of business because hope people just keep taking them. Amen? And we're going to bless these families that are coming in with nothing. There's over 15 small groups that meet throughout the week. There's men's and women's ministries going on. Kairos and Revive Ministries are connecting young adults and college students from all over the metro. And here's my favorite one. In the past year alone, over 60 people have been baptized into new life in Jesus Christ at Hope Elam. Praise God for that. <laughs> and that's just the highlights. We could just keep on going. I could talk your ear off all day long. And here's the thing. None of that happens if the Lord doesn't show up. This is an Ebenezer moment. When God came and made the impossible possible. And I will tell you this. It's never been about the numbers. Some of you are like, oh, geez, numbers, numbers, numbers. You know why I get excited about numbers? Because numbers represent people and people whose hearts have been open to the love of Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. That's why we do what we do. I could run through stats and numbers all day long, or I could tell you about the single mom with four kids that walked three miles here to come to church. I could tell you about the young woman that had never stepped foot in this building and she worshiped online with us. For all of you that are skeptical of online church, she walked into this building and said, I want to be baptized today. It's the man one night a couple months ago that was running late for his support group here, for NA here at the church. And I, opened the, I just happened to be leaving. I opened the door for him and he said, you have no idea what these, this group means to me. Your support groups here at the church, these, these people, this has literally saved my life. I'm so glad that you guys are here. It's the stories of transformation. It's why we do what we do. It's about a God that says nothing is impossible. And folks, he is just getting started. We are a toddler. We are one year old. And I don't know what summit you're staring up at today. I don't know what obstacle that you're facing. Because we can clap all day long and say, wow, look what God has done. This is the story of God's people throughout all history. This is the story of our church, and this can be your story. And I just feel like somebody in here needs to hear this today. That Jesus walks down that middle aisle, and he comes up to you, and he grabs your shoulders. 
maybe even in an intimate way as he does all throughout the Gospels, he grabs your face and he knows what is hurting inside this morning and he looks you in the eyes and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For you, not in some generic way, for you, for my power is made perfect in your impossible situation, in your summit. Therefore, I will boast all the more, Paul says, gladly about my weaknesses, about my summits, about my fears, about my obstacles, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Make this your prayer this week, Hope Elam, as we head into anniversary week. Tap into the power of Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit because I can't do it on my own. Every day when I get up is a miracle. It's a miracle that you filled my lungs with breath again today, God, and I just want to praise you. You are my champion. You are my champion as we're going to sing in a little bit. God, you're my everything. His grace is enough for us as a church. It's never been about hope, Elam. It's always been about Jesus. Amen? Wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you've been, you can show the world nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Grab your elements and let's stand together for Holy Communion. If you're at home, you can grab whatever elements that you have. If you're here in the room, grab those packets. Hang tight. We're going to pray together before we receive the elements, so be patient. It's important to remember the story that it was on the night that he was betrayed, that Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We need Jesus. We're desperate for him, and that's why we pray prayers like the Lord's Prayer. Words will be on the screen. Let's pray that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For those of you in the room, you can take the first layer off and receive the wafer. If you're at home, take your bread and receive the body of Christ broken for you. Go ahead and hold the bottom tightly. And at home, you can take your wine or your grape juice and receive the wine, the blood of Christ shed for you. And now this morning, as you have received the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may you know that your sins are completely forgiven, that you have a fresh start in his grace, and that he wants to fill you up with the power of his Holy Spirit today to tackle whatever summit might be in, in, in your way through his power and through his love and through his spirit this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's remain standing, and we're going to sing about a Jesus who is our champion. Let's worship together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.